Hello and welcome back to Engagement Matters. My name is Christina Cantors and I am joined by Mr. John Williams of JHW Corporate Training. How are you doing today, John? I'm pretty good. Today we're talking all about building culture within an organization. And we were having a chat about this before we hit record, actually. And John mentioned a quote by Peter Drucker, who's a very well-known leader on the topic of management. And he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I was really curious about that. What do you mean by that, John? Well, basically, uh, Drucker mentioned that to the CEO of Ford some time ago, and it's become uh, pretty famous. Uh, um, you can Google it on the internet. Um, what he's really talking about is two different aspects of um, running a, a successful business. Uh, you've got to know where you're going. And there's a lot of consultants around that are able to give uh, – leadership teams and directors guidance on where we're going, where's the opportunities in the market. The culture is about having the uh, energy and of staff, the uh, commitment of employees to make it happen. So uh, we've talked before on these podcasts how um, good engagement skills provides product, a productivity return. And the same is true at a higher level for, for culture. If we get the culture of our organizations right, then whatever it is we're trying to do, wherever we're trying to go, you'll have a lot more energy and a lot more productivity to get there because we've got um, an enthused and, and highly motivated workforce. Mm. So to me, it's not one or the other. Uh, I like the phrase culture eat strategy for breakfast. I think it's a response to the fact that there's been so much focus on the strategy and not enough on the people side of things. Um, I think to be successful, you've got to have both. The strategy tells us where we're going. The culture gives us the energy to make it happen. Mm. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who are aware that when company culture is not great, it definitely can impact the overall productivity of everyone. Uh, it impacts productivity. It impacts morale. It can impact our um, market reputation. Um, there's been some question marks in uh, in Australia in in the last year or two about the culture of banks and how that's dragging the reputation of banks down, for instance. Mm. And we're going to. I mean, the topic of improving company culture seems like a, a massive one, but we're going to talk more about how you can actually start to improve that company culture later in the podcast. But before we get to that, I'd love to learn more about structure. So you're saying that, okay, culture eats strategy for breakfast, but is structure still important? Um, yeah, structure is important. Um, structure is there. Yeah, we, we all need some sort of effective framework um, which will support the goals of the organization and, and provide some guidance to to staff. We, we all need the framework around our touch points, we, we need boundaries. So the, the structure provides that. The thing that worries me about structure um, is there there is no perfect structure. Any structure we use is going to be suboptimal. Um, if I want to go centralist, then by definition, we're going to lose local autonomy. If we want to focus on our markets, then our geographic coverage is not going to be optimal or our product focus might be compromised. So there is no perfect structure. It's not going to respond to all the things that are important to the organization. And this is a mistake that you see people making when they come in. There's, there's a new leader, a new manager, and they come in and they try to restructure 
to to make it work. But then, as you're saying, there's no perfect structure, so it's it's never going to work. Exactly. So we see so often um, anybody that, that's listening now and and works in a major organization, they've probably seen multiple reorganizations in the last few years. This isn't going to solve the problem. Um, these reorganizations are highly disruptive. And, and disruption's not always good, you know. <laughs> it can be quite costly. Uh, and we're striving for a nirvana that, that we're never going to achieve. I believe it would be far more productive to improve behavior within our existing suboptimal structure before we start looking at then restructuring to get a benefit that may or may not even be there. Because restructuring also seems really scary. To a lot of people, or else you focus on, hey, we're staying with the same structure, but we're just changing the way that we behave or the way we interact with each other. Building morale, getting stronger um, cooperation within our organization and between our organizations and our suppliers and our customers. That way we can brew, build strong productivity gains and provide a much more impressive brand for our organization. Um, we, we all know organizations that have a strong brand because culturally they work. I mean, Richard Branson's Virgin has, has got to be a classic mm. example of um, the, the culture of the organization drives its brand. And I think especially job hunters now, when people are moving between companies, people are a lot more aware now of the culture and they, they know how important it is, especially for their own well-being. And they're asking that in job interviews now, like tell me about the culture of the company and the people want to know these things yeah. if they're going to be spending a lot of time there. And of course, during our working life, we spend an awful lot of time in our organization and mm. um, we only get to live once. Uh, we want to be able to enjoy at least some of it. <laughs> how can a company tell that their culture needs work? Well, mostly it depends on how much effort they've put into it. Um, <laughs> because the, the thing is, I mean, every culture, sorry, every organization has its culture. It may be a good culture. It may be the one we want, or it may not be. The chances are, if senior management aren't proactively driving that culture, then it's going to be a culture that they prefer not to have. Okay, so let's let's go a little bit deeper into the how. So how how do we start to increase our, or make our company culture more desirable? Well, the, the starting point is being able to define define the, the target culture, and sure. um, many organisations have done this and have done it re really quite well. It's the classic uh, mission statement, values, um, vision. Um, a lot of organizations have done that and it, it, they've at least defined their target culture. Mm. The next step is probably the hard bit. What often happens is that the organizations have got their leadership at team away. They've been away at, at an offsite venue. They've agonized with professional consultants over every word in that vision statement. And they know exactly what it means to them. When we get back to the rest of our staff, we put some posters on the wall of the uh, meeting rooms. There's a page on the internet. There's an email that goes out to all staff. And we hope that all our staff are going to pick up with the same enthusiasm and comprehension 
the culture that we've defined. And of course, that's not what happens. So the big job is then the rolling out of the culture. Mm. How do we, how do we explain that? How do we share that with our people, whether I be perhaps a, a, a ticket collector, a cashier, uh, an IT uh, support person, whatever my role is in the organization, how do I apply those words on that poster into my role and how do I get it so that I'm behaving within the cor- cor- mm. corporate norm? That's the hard bit. And that's the bit that um, probably we can we can help with. As in JHW? Uh, as in JHW and other organizations that, that sure. do the sort of things that we do. So do you actually facilitate those workshops to roll out that company culture? Uh, we have done. We can do that. That's part of the general facilitation. We, we, we help organizations in, in any form of facilitation, mm. uh, act as the independent facilitator to, to help them come to a conclusion. So we, we do often that sort of work. To me, it makes sense to, as you know, how we've talked about about learn and lead in in a previous episode. It seems to me that you to actually create that mission statement and the value statement, you'd want to be learning from from the staff and and learning what what it is they want, rather than going about with high level management and saying this is what we've decided for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So um, certainly the leadership team of an organization is a very important stakeholder and have obvious uh, inputs into that mission statement. I think you're right. I think it is also important to get um, the upward views of, of, of our staff. At the end of the day, usually the problem is not with the mission statements and the values and so on and so forth. It's mm-hmm. about the rollout of those and it's in that area that um, we can often be most helpful. Sure. So how can we go about rolling out? Well, how, how would people work with you to, to roll this out? What our listeners may have picked up and, and you would have picked up from our previous podcasts and discussions, um, there's a lot of parallels between what we're talking about here in terms of the culture of the organization and what we've talked to previously about as good engagement technique and so on and so forth. Okay. And, and the productivity that derives from that. Sure. So if you look at the, the key topics that we cover on a classic three day workshop, the sorts of things that we've talked about in this podcast series, they're really hitting right on the nose. The very things that most organizations include in their mission statements and their values. So, for instance, trust, integrity, honesty, respect, mm. rapport, value, diversity, proactive as opposed to reactive behaviors, outcome focus, uh, influence as opposed to authority and how to use the, the two, preparation, assertiveness. All of these topics are the topics that we cover in some depth Mm. on the engagement skills workshop. And I've looked at many, many organizations, visions, statements, values, missions. And those are the sorts of things that are always common. They're phrased in different ways, but they're pretty common. The engagement skills workshop would provide in a customized form, a mechanism for organizations to roll out their 
missions to their staff and allow the staff the workshop space to really understand what it means to me in my role. So this is like a tailored version of the public workshops that you run? I think it would need to be tailored, yeah. 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 Uh, and that's something we, we often do in any case. Um, our workshops are, are eminently customizable because we don't see them as a predefined course. We see them as a solution to an organization's needs. Now, if one of those needs is to roll out our own culture, then that's what we um, provide a solution to, which means, yes, we, we'd customize our um, starting point to, to better suit the um that, that, that mm. particular requirement. Yeah, sure. Now, obviously, your workshops are really effective, I know, because I've been on one. But for the person who's thinking, you know, we can just roll this out ourselves, we can host our own workshops, what is the, I suppose, the, the disadvantage to doing that or what are the, the dangers in doing that? Uh, there's no doubt about it. The organisation needs to take ownership of it. And the more that the leadership team can be involved in rolling that out, the better. Uh, in my experience, so most leadership teams uh, are really um, flat out doing lots of other urgent and important things. It's a little bit like the picket fence at the front of our house. Soon after we moved in, I decided I was going to build this beautiful picket fence. I describe it now as the longest picket fence in Canterbury. Not that it's long that long in distance, but it took longer to build than any other fence I'm aware of. It was the first time I'd ever built a picket fence and I'd do the, my second one a lot better, but um, it's probably never going to happen. <laughs> if you're doing something for the first time, mm. you're the guinea pig of that activity. So building it from scratch is a very powerful thing to do. And we make mistakes as we go along and we repair them and we learn so much from it. But if we're only ever going to do it once... Um, how how's that value that we've acquired along the way going to be a value in the future? Sometimes it's helpful to have in people that have done this sort of thing before, have a lot of the material already developed, have made the mistakes and corrected them so that your organization is not the guinea pig. And people that have got time and focus to do this really well with experience rather than people that are finding their way. So I think many leadership teams might have the skills and capability to do themselves and they may have the time to, to invest to do it well. Those that haven't still need to have some level of involvement, but can, um, if you like, outsource part of that job, but only part of it, to experienced practitioners that have got the material, materials and approach that will help get that culture going. I suppose it's also good to have a third party unbiased person as well coming in to objectively look at this is the message we want to communicate these are the values we want to instill and this is you know how how we think we, it should be rolled out as uh, opposed to someone who they're so ingrained in it because that is their value statement and there's it's just yeah. more subjective yeah we're certain uh, certainly assertive enough to to challenge assumptions just mm. not not because we want to be argumentative but to make sure that any assumptions that we were are working off of are valid assumptions and we get the best result in the end. 
Yeah, that's really interesting, John. And and I I never thought about this before, but I, I just find it interesting how what it is that you teach and what we've been discussing on this podcast up until this point doesn't just apply to external stakeholders. It also applies to how we work within our teams and how it can actually build the overall productivity of the company as a whole. And I think that's, I think that's amazing. So did you have anything to share just before we wrap up? Um, no, really, I, I guess uh, my, my, conclusion to this mm. podcast would be look yeah every organization has a culture the problem is the culture is often not where we want it to be uh, essentially if we're not driving that culture it's going to end up somewhere but probably not where we want it that takes some effort it means we need to define the target we need to need to have a mechanism to roll it out and probably something we should have made mentioned earlier is we have to have the energy to maintain it mm. we've got to keep the emphasis on it it's not a tick in the box done that job you know forget it uh, ongoing we need to be reinforcing that what we can help you do is develop a jargon a language a dialogue so that staff talk about what they're doing in this organization um, and it helps reinforce the culture that we're building when you get there, you get the side benefits of uplifted productivity, as we've discussed on other podcasts, through the better engagement mm. and the higher motivation and the better morale of staff. We get better relationships with our customers and stakeholders, and it's so much easier to do business when you get the cooperation that comes from that. So it's an investment in one thing that has a lot of side effects, which in, in their own right are as valuable as the culture itself. Mm. But organizations that don't invest enough in culture over time gradually um, suffer the problems of not having a culture. <laughs> well, it's kind of like your own health, isn't it? If you, if you consistently, there, if you consistently don't take care of your health and you eat terrible food and you don't exercise, you won't get overweight and you won't get a heart disease overnight from one bad, you know, one bad habit. But if that habit continues over and over and over again, over many, many years or decades, then you're going to find yourself in a really bad place. Great, great point. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it's the same thing with good health. Like you can't just eat a salad one day and go to the gym and then re and then all of a sudden you, you've lost 10 kilos and you you can run a marathon. It doesn't work that way. It's an ongoing process. Yeah. And that's this thing with like people, there's no point going on a diet because then you go off the diet and you put the weight back on. But if you change your lifestyle, I see that it's, it's you know, a parallel with, with company culture. It's something that you've got to consistently feed and take care of and nurture every single day and have it ongoing um, if you want to really build the thing that you want. That's a great point. Love it. Thanks Thank so you. much, John. And of course, if you want to check out the, the workshops that John runs, make sure you go to jhw.com.au and you can see a description of the public workshops that he runs. But like he, meant, he mentioned, he's able to tailor them as well to suit your needs and to, to find a, a solution for you. Thank you. Thanks, John. Cheers, Christy. <laughs>